Hey, what's going on, everybody? And welcome to Listen Money Matters. Rich stay rich by acting poor, and poor stay poor by acting rich. My name is Thomas, and I'm here, as always, with my good friend, Andrew. Andrew, how are you, and what are you drinking this morning? I am good. Uh, it's early, so I just have a little bit of truck stop fiesta. Early. Early. If I started drinking at 10 a.m., I mean, my whole <laughs> Sunday would be gone. Probably my Tuesday would be gone. So That is true. Yeah. I'm trying to stay I just, responsible. I'm bristling at your definition of early over here because I'm two <laughs> hours behind you. <laughs> <laughs> so so it's like nine there, right? It's eight. It's 10 for you, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm just being. Yeah. I can't do math at 10 a.m. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm really just focused on paper clips right now. Are you still making paper clips? Yeah. While, while we're recording, I've I've generated 220,000 paper clips. Oh my gosh. So for everybody listening to this, uh, the more recognizable name here is going to be Cookie Clicker. Andrew is essentially playing a clone of Cookie Clicker where you just make paper clips. And eventually take over fun. the world. And it, well, you don't necessarily take over the world. You more just convert the world to paper clips. Mm. But imagine how much profit I will make when I convert the world into a paperclip. Then you're just going to convert the profit into more paperclips. <laughs> That's right. Where does its madness end, Andrew? That's what I have to when ask. When my battery runs out. <laughs> <laughs> this is certainly a conversation. And that is a good segue into the topic of this week's episode because we are talking about how to have meaningful conversations. And we have not one, but two guests on the show this time. It's been a while since we've had two guests on the line at the exact same time. Hopefully Skype's technology can handle it. Uh, because today on the show, we have Molly Kinsman-Kind. And um, Taylor, how do you pronounce your last name? I don't want to bon- butcher it. Bonacore Guthrie. Bonacore Guthrie. Okay, cool. Awesome. And you guys, so you basically are partners and you're building, you're building a game to help people have better conversations. But when I read the Kickstarter for it, one word stuck, I guess two words stuck out to me. Um, you're building it in the style of a Jeffersonian dinner. I have no idea what that is. Did Thomas Jefferson have better dinners than everyone else? Is that is that what it was? So I'll take that one. Thomas Jefferson, basically, the, the term has been coined because he used to invite people from all over the country to travel to his home and have a conversation-focused meal. So that's where the term comes from. They're basically a topic dinner. So the idea is one person speaks at a time and the goal is for everybody at the table to participate, to listen, and hopefully by the end to learn some things that they can take it back, probably on horseback back in the day, uh, back to their community and teach the people around them what they've learned. So it's more structured than a regular dinner conversation, you're saying? Exactly. Yeah. Unlike your normal dinner party where you're probably just chatting with the person next to you about the weather, your commute over something boring. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 the Jeffersonian dinner, the concept is it's all focused on a topic. So you're going to okay. have a lot more fun and you're going to um, have a little bit of structure, but not over structure. That's the key. So basically I'm Thomas Jefferson. I'm really interested in how an AI is going to turn the world into paperclips someday. I invite a bunch of people to come over and we're going to specifically talk about that for the dinner. You got it. Okay. And so you said it's like, it's, it's like one person talks at a time. Is there like a structure to that? Or is it just kind of assumed that everyone will be quiet when one person's, uh, one person's talking? 
You need to put a little bit of structure around it. Uh, this is Taylor now. That was Molly speaking before. Two guests here, as you said. Um, <laughs> and you do need to put a little bit of structure around it in the beginning because it's so ingrained to have dinner parties where we talk to the people that we're sitting next to, like Molly mm-hmm. said. So in the beginning, when we kick off these dinners, we usually say, this is going to be a little different than what you're used to, but it'll be a whole lot better. And here's here's why. And so we, we prep everybody to say the idea is to listen and for each of us to talk. And the good part about that is that you won't be looking across the table, wondering what those people are talking about and wishing that you could jump mm. in in that conversation. Right. Mm. It happens to me yep. all the time. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But does that mean like there's one like conversation leader or like boss or something? Yeah, there's somebody that acts as the facilitator and facilitator is sort of a term that feels a little serious. Um, It's not the kind of facilitator that you think of at work, but it is somebody that helps move the conversation around the table and introduces the question prompts. Um, the, The structure without overstructure that Molly was talking about before is really due to a set of questions or a question that is determined ahead of time that guides the conversation. So the facilitator is the person who says that question and maybe invites some people who haven't talked yet to jump in and, and share their point of view. So I've been to things where like it's a big group of people and they're like everyone like introduce themselves and say where they're from and their favorite color. And like it goes around the circle and like right before it's getting to me, I get like insane acute anxiety. Like I don't even know what my favorite color is. What if I say my <laughs> name wrong? Uh, like in these conversations, does everybody need to say something to every point? And, and I also don't even know how it works. Yeah, I, I think that experience is shared by many. I also feel that if it's my turn coming, it's like you're rehearsing in your head. My name's Molly. My name's Molly. What's my favorite color? <laughs> uh, the difference is each one of these conversation topics that we have in the box, we have 28 conversation topics. Um, they all have an icebreaker question that is fun and as minimally intimidating as possible to be a place to kind of warm up, to get people started, to get people comfortable. There's no right or wrong answers. And we do ask guests to introduce themselves. I think that's important. But I promise you it's much better than your average, uh, you know, what's your favorite color? Yeah. So I think I had a dinner like this recently now that you guys have described what it is to me because I met with, I think, five of the people at a restaurant and one of the people there was like this conversationalist expert person and she had us do this exact thing. She she didn't have cards, but she's just like, everyone go around and talk about an experience that made you change a, a meaningful opinion in your life or something like that, which gave me lots of anxiety because that's a hard question, but it was pretty cool. But I guess I'm imagining in Jefferson's time, him inviting like 30 people to this dinner and then you wait two hours to talk or something like that. Like, is there a a maximum size for something like this to actually work? Yeah, we think that somewhere between four and 12 people is ideal, which is a bit of a range because four may sound a lot smaller than what you were thinking. Yeah. But the format really does work within that range. You can have four people around a table the conversation in, in that time, imagine two couples. Sometimes you end up, the women talk to each other, the men talk to each other. It's kind of the worst. If you have, 
Yeah. <laughs> and then the women talk about why the men, what the men are talking about is dumb. And they, they're yeah. listening to our experience. conversations and talking about us, but we can only do one thing at a time. <laughs> so we do nothing. <laughs> exactly. So you guys are already totally sold on this concept. Yep. <laughs> um, and, yeah, the, and the group of 12, you are around a big table. So then the table really splits and it's physical, like one half. You, you literally can't talk to the other side if everybody's talking at once. So you take um, sides in a conversation then? No, no, you don't. I'm just thinking if you sit opposite each other at the table, it's tough to be like, hey, down there, you know, what are yeah. you guys talking yeah. about? Let me get in on that, right? So we find that between four and 12 people is the ideal group. And like you were talking about before, the conversation because one person talks at a time, you have time to think about what you're going to say. There's a lot less of that social pressure to be like, uh, this is what I think about this super meaningful thing because everybody's getting to talk and you have more time to process, which is such a more comfortable way to be at the table. Well, on yeah. that, I mean, so awkward pauses and there are no awkward pauses ever on this podcast because my wife is a fantastic editor. Um, but like in real life when there are awkward pauses, like how do you handle that? Cause I imagine like a, someone saying something that is maybe, uh, out there or conflicting with other people's core views could easily tear apart a dinner, especially if you let it like the seconds roll by. Yeah. Awkward pauses. I think that is something that everyone secretly dreads in conversation. Um, some people are better, better, excuse me, at handling them than others. But we we've come up with a, a pocket guide to help with these sort of odd or or seemingly difficult things that could come up. Couple ideas on the awkward pause, right? Having a few um, phrases in your pocket, right? Tell me more about that, right? Can you give me an example of that? Or what if, if someone says something you're not really sure what they mean or what they're getting at, trying out questions like, well, what do you make of that? Or where have you seen that show up? And kind of being able to chime in quickly with what we call like a follow-on question, which is what's missing, I think, in a lot of these conversation games that we see out on the market to, to really help facilitate this level of conversation. It's, it's getting past that surface level and it's getting to the next the next thing, the next topic or the next level of depth. Yeah. I the think other thing is that from conversation in general, I mean, like I was literally at a party last night and I don't think anyone ever said anything like offensive or, or controversial in any way, but there was like an awkward pause every 10 seconds where one person would just finish what they were saying. And then nobody really knew what to say next. And I'm just standing there feeling this pressure. Like, okay, now I have to come up with some, new random topic. I don't know. It's like in the moment, like if I sit back here and analyze it, I can say like, well, why didn't I just drill into what the, the person said? But in the moment, it's more difficult to do that, I guess. Yeah, Thomas, I think it's human nature to sort of respond with your own story, right? We want to be relatable mm -hmm. to another person. And so they say some story and you kind of are looking in your mind for like a me too kind of story. Tell me yeah. that's bad. Tell me that's bad. <laughs> maybe you don't have me. Maybe you don't have a me too, or maybe it's not that interesting for you, but what can help keep the conversation flowing are these follow on questions, like stay on point with where that person's at or ask them, you know, can you tell me more about that? Or how did you get into that? Or where did that idea come from? Or those sort of questions to just keep them talking. And yeah. then something interesting is sure to come out of it if you if you have your curiosity hat on. 
Yeah. That's so, part of how Conversate was born too, is feeling like we spend time with our friends or our families and you don't know so many things about them. Like think of all the things that you'd be curious to know about your parents or your childhood best friend. And you totally have a relationship where you could go there, but you just don't ask those other questions for whatever reason. So you guys have done this before, right? Because uh, I, I really do want to have awesome conversations, but that are not about religion or politics. And I feel like I don't know. I like I'll, I'll then I'll like let's talk about computers and then everyone leaves and I'm just by myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've come up with a whole bunch of topics that span the human condition. So it's stuff like um, I'll use parenthood as an example because I recently became a parent. We have questions about wealth, a topic card about wealth. We have a question card about endurance and bravery and courage and things that are like those capital letter topics that, you know, if you were sitting down with people in close to you in your life or even somebody that you just met on the street, you'd be like, what makes you human? I want to know about these things. And so the cards range, you know, in topic and the types of questions range from the thought provoking, what's your point of view to things that ask about personal experience, but it's all to get to that deeper level of curiosity that we all have. Are these more specific questions? Because I think if somebody came up to me and asked me what makes me human, I would probably <laughs> clam up. <laughs> but seriously, like I remember I asked on Twitter the other day, I, I mentioned something about Fahrenheit versus Celsius, which is in the grand scheme of things, not that big or important of a topic. And I'm getting all these replies, people starting arguments, having big conversations. And it's like, this doesn't matter. And if I ask you guys about a big, important topic or something that's really meaningful, I think people are more naturally going to clam up about it, maybe because they haven't thought about their opinion quite so well on it, or they feel like something that important is the stakes are too high to say the wrong thing. So, I mean, how, how, um, how big are these questions? They totally range. So some of them are really lighthearted and others are bigger. And when you go into any conversation, I think the important thing is to feel like there is no wrong answer. Like mm. you have this conversation either with friends or people that you know well, or if it's people you just met, you're like, I'm figuring this out maybe as we talk about it. And it sometimes, for me at least, it's just calling that out. Like I don't know if this is my end all be all view on this question, but I'm gonna think it out as we talk about it. And hopefully that's interesting for both of us as it happens. Yeah. So I wanna talk about maybe some things beyond the game or dinner conversations in general. Uh, and one of the things that's difficult for me is just getting a conversation started. I'm pretty good at the walk up and do the handshake and introduce myself and say my name without getting a backwards part. But a lot of times after that, it's difficult to know where to go from there. Yeah, I like this question. Um, my One of my favorite words, I think I say it way too much for the people who know me well, is, is curiosity, right? To me, that's the biggest tool you can have in a conversation is to see if you can always approach it from a place of curiosity. Because if you actually are curious, like if you really are, whether it's about a topic or a person or, you know, whomever this person that you just met happens to be, chances are the questions will come. And 
curiosity to me is the biggest tool. Um, the other thing is is to take a question approach in your conversations instead of a, a, a telling approach. I think people seem to fall on one side of the spectrum. Either people are really good listeners or maybe they're really good talkers. Um, if you're a talker, try some more questions, see what happens. If you're a listener, try try elevating your questions to be a little bit more open-ended or a little bit more engaging. And maybe that conversation for you as a listener will become even more interesting. Can you like maybe go further there? Because I think uh, like in this like private office Skype session, I could be like really like bolsterous, but like when I'm out in a party, I'm more of a questions person. And I think that I can maybe ask more thought-provoking questions, but the conversation tends to originate over there. And I'll just be like, almost like a conversation facilitator as opposed, and then I imagine as the conversation goes on, it gets more boring for both of us because it's kind of staying on that side. So like, how do you, uh, I don't know, step up or, or make it more like equitable conversation? That's a great question. I think part of this is that we have gone so far to one side of things where we do feel a little uncomfortable having a conversation on the fly. And we've gotten so used to texting and using technology to communicate that for a lot of people, I mean, even me, it's a little off-putting sometimes when somebody drops a question that is really interesting, but then I'm like, whoa, whoa, no, <laughs> I didn't think we were going to go there. <laughs> so part of it for me has been to adjust expectations. Like it may not turn into this beautiful, most amazing conversation you've ever had right off the bat. But I think it's about sticking with it. Like when you describe the situation of being the facilitator and asking more and more questions, the more you ask, I found, the more people start to open up. And sometimes it's a prompt like, is it okay with you if I ask you about X? Most people will say, yeah, that's fine. They may be surprised that you ask them that, but you've opened the door to having the conversation. And part of our job in a way, all of us, is to just bring back conversation. That's what Molly and I keep saying. Like we have mm -hmm. to bring it back so that we all become more comfortable. And then down the road, it will be these conversations where we feel more comfortable and they're really interesting the whole time. Do you think that social media and cell phones have, have killed our ability to have conversations? I'm seriously curious about this because I've heard people make the argument that, oh, before phones were invented, people just read books on the train and they still didn't look at each other or talk to each other. Is it actually worse now? I used to go outside, Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess there's the answer right there. <laughs> I, I don't think we'd say killed, but Molly, what do you think? Yeah, as I, I think where I notice the biggest difference maybe isn't in the number of conversations per se, but I think where I've noticed the biggest difference is in the generation that comes after me, there is, there is a very noticeable discomfort with picking up the phone and calling someone or knocking on someone's door and, you know, showing up to a neighbor's house, for example. Um, this idea of cold calling, right. If you're looking for a job, the idea of just reaching out and introducing yourself, it, it has, I think it's kind of formalized our communication in a weird way. It's also it's also done the opposite of that, but it kind of, um, 
I, I just see a really big trend in the amount of personal comfort that people have in interacting face to face. That's where I notice a difference. Do you think that there are like um, baby steps or something that people who resonate with that can do? Like, you know, I, I read, uh, <clears throat> I don't know if you know, like the game and there's like this whole like pickup artist thing and it was like uh, for guys that are, are afraid of girls they could just go walk around a mall and just smile at girls right and then eventually maybe you're like hi and then you run away or something is there like some <laughs> sort of like baby step thing that they could do to uh, induct them or like you know cold calling for jobs is not that crazy but if you're so far on the other side of the spectrum like how do you get yourself there there's a couple ways. One, I think you you're suggesting with the I know that book, The Game. I can't help but laugh. Uh, I may so I may or may not I, have read it. No, I, <laughs> that's awesome. I may or may not have seen it on an old boyfriend's like nightstand once or twice. And then you um, ran. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh! It all um, makes sense now. No, but you know what? It's it's we're joking, but there is a lot of truth. I feel like to what you just said, like. Mm. It is about baby steps and we can apply a lot of what that author is saying to conversation. You start with having a question in your back pocket, something you feel comfortable asking. Maybe it's not earth shattering. It's not as typical as what do you do for a living, but it's something about that person that you feel comfortable asking and that you're curious about. And you just ask it and see what the answer is the first time. So it's not like a universal question. Like it's something you kind of have to pull from context. It doesn't have to be what makes you human, (laughs) but it could be, it could be something as simple as like, what'd you have for breakfast this morning? I'm curious. What'd you, what'd you eat for breakfast? And it may feel a little awkward to ask that, but I bet you the person across from you laughs. They tell you what you, what they ate. And maybe you can have some kind of conversation about that. Um, Some of these questions that seem sort of silly, I have found, break the ice and they will make people laugh and laughter is that great equalizer. So I wouldn't underestimate the power of that kind of thing when you're, when you're chatting with someone. The other thing I would say really quickly is about technology. Some of this is just practicing asking and answering and technology, as much as I do think it has hurt our ability to engage in person, there are amazing forums where you can ask questions and answer them online. And so in terms of testing questions and figuring out how to ask and what you want to ask about technology is awesome for that well that reminds me of one of my biggest issues because when you have a forum online it's usually a group of people who are united through some sort of common interest and when i find myself in a situation in real life where that's the case like i'm at a networking event or i go to a local game shop for playing magic or something like i know everyone there shares some sort of interest that isn't just the weather or something boring. So it's very easy to get into a conversation where I find the most difficulty is when I'm at a, when I'm at a function that isn't really bound by an interest, like a wedding or just some other thing where it's like, Oh, we're, we're at a bar or something. And I just meet a person and I I just can't think of anything to ask because I'm just like, it's a person holding a beer. I don't know. Maybe that just makes that just outs me as somebody who's not interested by default in other people. And maybe that's something for me to work on, but I just clam up and I don't know what to say. Yeah. Sometimes my, my idea there, sometimes the best thing to say is, is just something like, 
your name, right? Hi, my name's Thomas. Is that your favorite beer, right? Whatever it is that sort of pops in your mind, sometimes that is just the right thing because the chances are that other person also feels awkward and also doesn't know what to say. So there's this exchange of gratitude that someone initiated and that is sometimes all it takes. Um, the other questions that I kind of like that can be more of a, a back pocket question are ones that draw out stories like okay. what was something great that happened this week or, you know, what was, what was the highlight of your day or I don't know, some, something that can sort of evoke either an origin story. How did something get started? How did you get into that? How did you hear about this event? Those kinds of things that allow a person to actually tell a little bit of a story gives you a little bit of information as to who they are, maybe what they're interested in and where the conversation can go from there. So we have like these um, really interesting stories and we could have these like conversations that like philosophically like open your mind. And I, I would love to attend a dinner that was like that where we all just had like really impactful conversation. I, I think the problem is like, or, or unfortunately, not all conversations are fun or impactful, but sometimes they just still need to happen. Um, maybe it's about a bad thing or just about whatever. And not, not, you know, that a conversation about money is always a bad thing, but it could be a stressful thing. And so while I would love to talk to you about your favorite beer, and often we're drinking beer, I'm sorry we're not, um, like how do, how do you kind of uh, dance around the tougher issues? Or, or how do you start the conversation and not let it tank where everyone's pissed and runs away? So there's a couple key things that we have found to be really important. The first is being present in the conversation. When you are about to get into a tough topic, whether it's money, if that's difficult for you to talk about, or it's talking about relationships, whatever it is for you, being super centered and present for that conversation is important because ultimately what you're trying to do is connect with the person across from you. And if you're not really there for that conversation, the other person senses it and they don't show up either, which I think makes hard topics a whole lot harder to actually address. And then one of the other key things that, that we talk about a lot is being respectful because mm -hmm. tough topics usually are tough for people because there's some disagreement that's either there or it's possible. And that makes us all feel really uncomfortable that we yeah. could end up head to head, right? And like not know where to go from there. But being present and also being respectful sets you up to actually hear what other people are saying and listen to it as their view that's coming from their experience and something that's valid in its own right. Just like your view comes from your experience and is valid in its own right. Yeah. Being present and respectful and just being aware of that before you get into the conversation can work wonders for having that dialogue. Okay, so we're, we're in the conversation and, and I'm trying to channel that. Sometimes <laughs> when, when I get like heated or, I, you know, it's, it's a more of a challenging conversation, maybe I'm fighting with my wife, uh, my, I feel like my brain slows down. I, mean, I maybe can't keep up and then I just become like quiet. Like I, like I'm actually at conversation like three minutes ago and 
and, and then it kind of breaks down. How could you uh, prevent that or, I don't know, help? <laughs> help. That's so I, but one thing that my husband and I do, we've, we've agreed, it doesn't always work, but most of the time, we've agreed that our shared goal in a tough conversation is to be understood. So mm. it doesn't mean you have to agree doesn't mean you have to necessarily come up with a solution or fix something or change something. But whenever we realize a tough conversation is happening, either because it's in the moment or because we know it needs to happen, it's try, we try to approach it with that shared goal of saying, okay, I just want to feel understood and I would like for you to feel the same. And the interesting thing about being understood is that it's not up to me to say, I understand you it's up to the other person to say, I feel like you get it, right? I feel understood. Mm -hmm. So that's something that I can I can share. I think it works. You should try it. See what you think. That's a great point. There have been many times where I tell my girlfriend, I totally understand you, and I don't. <laughs> I just think I do. <laughs> and Andrew, you mentioned the slowdown of time. Mm -hmm. Like, live in that it slows down for all of us. I think I, I can speak for myself as a woman too. Like when I'm in it with my husband arguing about something, I am, it is slowing down around me, but I don't usually <laughs> admittedly like slow down with it. You know, I pick mm -hmm. it up instead of slowing down with it and, and reminding myself, be present, be respectful. As Molly said, try to understand where he's coming from. So per, maybe on like the converse side or, or to build on that, um, there, there are times like where it is just escalating or you feel it kind of building up. And I think that, uh, in, in the, when you're with the right people, no one really wants that. Uh, but it kind of just happens. Are there like, and, and jokes often aren't appropriate when it's like at almost a breaking point. So how do you diffuse or reset without hurting anyone's feelings, you know, because the, the if you're already in the bad conversation, you at least want to get all out of it, you know, instead of just doing it again. Yeah, I think for the, in that instance, depends on the situation. But one thing that can be helpful is just to call out the tension, just to name it. Mm -hmm. Say, wow, this feels like a lot of tension right now. Or you can even be a little bit more structured if this is like a group situation or like a dinner I might, I might pause and say, you know what, let's pause for 10 seconds. Like I want everyone to just think about what's been said right now. And then maybe I'll try something a little more fun, like pick one word to say what's on your mind or something to kind of lighten it or soften it or pause for a sec. That can be nice. If it's a one-on-one -on -one conversation, I think just calling out attention and then using the tool of asking for permission. This is something, um, it's a good question skill is to basically say, you know what, would it be okay if I ask you something right now? Or would it be okay if we take a break for like three minutes because I need to, you know, step away. Mm -hmm. But the idea of asking, it, it creates a different response because you're not telling the person like, I'm leaving, I'll be back. Or just, you know, laying on them something that's big or emotionally charged. But you're basically kind of arming them with whatever's coming and giving them a choice, right? To say, that's fine. Let's regroup or sure. You can ask me something 
what what is it right so they're kind of inviting the conversation instead of feeling attacked okay and the weird thing is like even when you ask permission it's almost always the case that like the thing is going to happen anyway especially if it's like i need to take a break mm. so it's just kind of like a a way to i don't know let them save face or a way to let them feel like they have some agency even though it's probably going to go that way anyway yeah or even just a simple maybe maybe cue of what's to come. Mm. Even if, as you said, you are intending to go that direction anyways, it kind of gives them a little advance notice. Yeah. So, so you talk, oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, it sounds like you guys have done some of this stuff before. <laughs> uh, do you guys like, is, is there, is like a dinner hosting thing and you guys just, I don't know, create conversations? Like how did, how did you kind of get into this? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we have, um, so Molly and I have come, have arrived at this place from two different directions, which are both interesting. We met a decade ago, believe it or not, when we were college interns with the same company, convened in the same city, met for a brief conversation over a couple of days. I don't remember what we talked about, but we remained friends ever since and we stayed in touch seeing each other like once a decade for the past 10 years. And over the past 10 years, we've been exploring and really studying the science of asking questions and engaging with people, building relationships, all this stuff in our own ways. And for me, it's happened all over the world, actually. I've done a lot Just of work. Just not in, in Thailand. <laughs> not in Thailand. <laughs> I can't seem to get myself to Thailand. But yeah, um, but close to it. I lived in Mongolia for several years, oh, wow. um, working with a company there that had a big workforce from all over the world. And they were trying to figure out how do you um, bring all these people together and have them work effectively together. And relationships are the core of that. Um, Beyond that, I've been in Kenya working with teams there that are primarily Kenyan, but also dealing with people from all over the world. And the question is the same. Like, how do you put all these people together to solve a problem and have them actually do it effectively? You have to have good relationships. And conversation is, in my experience, like the number one thing that drives relationships. So in all the team building work I've been doing, been experimenting with how you do that, how you facilitate conversations with people, get them to get to know each other on a meaningful level. Um, and when Molly and I reconnected this year, I realized that she had been doing the same thing, but in a different way. Yeah, I, I would self-describe as a question nerd. Um, I have been studying the art of questions for some time now. Um, I went through a formal coaching certification program about three years ago and have been coaching individuals one-on-one -on -one, as well as groups, mostly around their career choices. And so with coaching, the interesting thing is just like conversation, just like money, right? There's not, there's not a clear path for everyone. So the way that a coach can be really helpful and the tools that we use are all around asking questions. It's kind of like, I don't have the answers you do, but I'm going to ask you the right questions to empower you to kind of figure that out or move forward. So this stuff has shown up in all kinds of different ways. Prior to that, I was working with investors on Wall Street and building relationships. Those were the early days of learning the power of questions and slowly have kind of transformed to realizing that these skills 
are valuable for anyone in any field, in any family or relationship. And I think that um, people elevating their question game will ultimately impact their connectedness in their life and their relationships. So Taylor, you said that you went to Kenya to do a lot of the same kind of work. I'm Mm -hmm. curious, did you find that there are like any differences in the problems people have with conversations in other countries or is it a universal problem? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, It's a universal challenge, I would say, and different in different cultures. So in Kenya in particular, um, Kenyans tend to be, in my experience, a lot like Americans, really entrepreneurial, really excited about getting things done, exchanging ideas and having a point of view. So there, the challenge is not so much about getting people to talk and to share. It's more about breaking down some of the um, power dynamics that exist either at work or even in social settings. So I was working with a team of eight really awesome people, but there were levels within the team about who was the manager and who was not the manager. And when we would gather for team building, a lot of the work that I did as a facilitator was using questions to try to level the playing field, um, which going back to this concept of human condition questions and like what do we all have in common, those types of questions, questions about family and about how you made your first friend and about what you hope to leave in the world after you're gone. Those kinds of things tend to be really awesome levelers, particularly in a team. Um, And then in other parts of the world, like in Mongolia, where I was for a number of years too, people are less inclined to talk. So it's a different problem than what you experience in Kenya. Not that they don't have a point of view, but just that they're not used to sharing it with people that are outside of a really tight circle. Mm -hmm. So there it's how do you make people comfortable sharing the stuff that they have inside of them and that they're interested in expressing, but maybe not interested in expressing with you right now. I think a lot of people here would identify with uh, that side where they know they have opinions. They know they have a point of view, but it's, difficult to share it, difficult to feel like it's the right time or the right context. What were some of the lessons you learned in Mongolia that would help here? Um, I learned not to jump in right away with the heavy hitter questions and to instead just spend time with people the way that we do at work, for example. And that rather than trying to gather everybody around a table at lunch the first week that the team has formed and conduct a dinner like the one that we've described, Mm -hmm. to just let things happen a little bit more organically. Um, And even that's true even in social situations that I was in in Mongolia. You can't just jump in right away because it's off-putting to people. So I think part of the skill that I developed was knowing when's the right time and not pressuring myself to hurry up and get that conversation done. Sometimes we rush into things and you don't have to. There's no rush to rush into it. In fact, there's a whole lot of value in just holding back and connecting in some other ways so that you can set the stage for the conversation. Mm. So um, I've traveled a lot. I know pretty much all of you guys have traveled a lot. And I, I think like when you travel... Um, even though it like opens your mind, you realize you actually have this very narrow life view and you really only understand the world as, or I only understand the world as like this five, five 
guy that, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, but when you're talking to other people, and for example, when I first got my, when I got my first job, I, I was in IT and there were a lot of people uh, who I worked with who were from India and they became great friends of mine, but their completely different worldview made it challenging in the beginning to kind of meet on common ground or even in, we would just view conversations differently. Are there ways, uh, maybe faster than like four years to bridge some of these gaps and connect with people who are not just like samesies as you? Yeah. Curiosity, right? It all comes back to curiosity. When you are in those kinds of situations, first thing is getting comfortable asking a question that expresses curiosity. But I can already hear in the way that you talked about these people that you were with them a lot. You have a basic understanding of where they came from and you recognize that their experience is different from yours. So I think you've already hit on being curious and being respectful and, and being present, right? You were there, you were with these people every day. So the next thing is to ask the question, like, tell me about where you grew up. If you know that they're not from, you know, born and raised in the U S and in most instances, I think people are really excited to tell you about where they came from and you can let the conversation unfold from there. And if your experiences are different, but you're curious about them, it's okay that you have different worldviews and different, different backgrounds because you're still people at the end of the day. You're still working for the same company. You're still experiencing things together on a day-to-day basis. You rely on each other in some form or fashion being there. And the different viewpoint maybe doesn't matter. Maybe you just agree to, to disagree or to have a different perspective. Mm-hmm. But you can still be friends and still have a relationship. So I think... I mean, I, I would imagine that people listening want to like bottle this conversation and kind of just like uncork it in their life and have like really interesting, engaging conversations. And it's pretty apparent that Taylor, you've gone across the world and pretty much refined the skill talking a lot. Uh, Molly, same. Uh, Thomas and I had the fortunate or unfortunate experience of talking to each other for like 1100 hours at this point. (laughs) So we're like a little skilled at this. So we've had practice. How do you go from zero or, or, you know, not well practiced and you're nervous to uh, having this just more frequently in your life? I'll jump in here. I, I would say start with someone that you know, start with someone that you feel comfortable with already. And couple, try out a couple different types of questions. Um, things about memories, right? What was your first memory or what was your first experience with, you know, something related to the topic at hand? Um, otherwise, other questions would be things like what is a highlight or what is a takeaway that you had from a particular experience? So if you're, um, at work, for example, right, what, what is the takeaway that you had from that meeting? Like what stood out for you in that? And so kind of having someone elevate whatever they felt was most interesting or priority helps you get to know them better. And that can be a way to kind of practice. Um, Other questions to try out, like lessons learned. That's a big one. There's lessons to be learned, big or small, from everything. And um, to be able to sort of ask someone what what they found interesting about it. Um, Ask about people right? Most people, if we're not comfortable talking about ourselves, 
we're probably more comfortable talking about others, asking mm-hmm. someone about their siblings or their family or who's someone that they really admire, right? The interesting thing about that question is usually when someone tells you about someone they admire, it's probably because the things that they admire about that person are something they want more of in their own life. Mm-hmm. So by sharing about someone else, you're actually learning uh, you know, a bit about that person as well. So I think starting with people you know, start with your family or your friends and um, yeah, just start practicing questions and see how they land. If they land well once, try it again or maybe try it in a different way. But always asking open-ended questions. Mm-hmm. Questions like what, how, why, when. If you start with do or did, chances are it's going to be a yes or no question and it's going to die yeah. immediately. So yeah. you want to kind of keep it big and, and open so that it can it can pivot from there. Yeah. And just That's dig really in. Good. Like the the next person that you talk to when they say, "Oh, I have an, I had a meeting today. How did it go?" Uh, it went pretty good. Did anybody say anything interesting? What stood out to you about the discussion? And just keep on digging in if the answers are short. I find that is the best way to practice. Like my husband will come home from work and he'll start to tell me about a meeting. And if he doesn't reveal a whole lot, I just keep asking gentle questions to understand a little bit more because I'm curious genuinely about how it went. And then think about how much he saves on like a psychiatrist visits because <laughs> exactly <laughs> your wife actually talks to me <laughs> so one of the things that i find most difficult in conversations or most awkward is when i'm in a group of three people or maybe more and i can tell there's one person who's not as engaged and i almost I feel like it is then my responsibility to try to get that person engaged in the conversation, but it can be really difficult. So from your guys' experiences, what have you found helps with that particular problem? Yeah, so we we recently had a dinner in New York City. Um, it was on the topic of networking as an introvert. And so we had a big table of people who self-identified as introverts. And that's a common experience that was shared is a lot of times feeling like you don't know how to add to a conversation or maybe you, you don't have content knowledge that these other people are talking about. Um, it sounds like you have a, a high level of self-awareness around including people, which just feels good, right? We all want to feel included and invited to participate. And so I think what came out of that particular dinner was that some people just need an, to be invited, like literally verbally invited to participate. And so if someone is maybe not as engaged or not chiming in, you could just ask them directly, right? Have you ever seen something like this show up? Or, um, you know, in what ways have you maybe experienced this or seen this? Or just something to sort of like, John, what do you think? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And just kind of calling them out to and to invite them, not to make them uncomfortable, but to actually say, we would like to know what you have to say about this. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Actually, I have I have a friend who doesn't come over as often as I'd like. And then we realized it's like ever since college, I've just sort of expected people to come over whenever they want, because that's the dynamic that my friend group had. And he's like, no, you have to invite me. Otherwise, I feel like I'm uninvited and I can't come over. So I've had to realize, like, I have to call you up and say, hey, come over. 
And I literally don't care if you come over tomorrow as well, but I guess I'll invite you then as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that makes sense. Andrew, do you ever feel like you're that person? I'm I'm definitely the one that needs to be invited. Uh, mm-hmm. Even though I, I know that I'm invited or, you know, uh, it's not even invited. Like, or in scenarios like that, I, I pretty much like need to be like addressed often. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I definitely resonate with that. And just like, calling it out because I think a lot of like um, improving on yourself is just knowing like your weak spots because um, if I if I know that I need to be called out maybe I could like put myself out there a little bit and not have to be invited and show up in an awkward <laughs> situation <laughs> sure there's also a difference too with just the way that some people are internal processors with their thoughts and some people are external processors. An example of that might be um, like, you know, someone asks Molly, where do you want to go to dinner? Right. And I, as an external processor would be like, well, I'm really hungry. Want something that's like kind of healthy, but like going to fill me up and, you know, not something crazy expensive, something in the neighborhood. How about we go to, you know, the Ethiopian restaurant. And I would sort of think out loud and maybe say all of that out loud. An internal processor is going to have that same chain of thoughts, but they're going to do all that in their head. So it's going to be like, Molly, where do you want to go to dinner? Let's go to the Ethiopian restaurant, Mm -hmm. right? That's the difference. And so with people who process that way, a, it can be a lot more succinct. Um, it cannot be quite as much of a, of, of a chatterbox personality, but sometimes it's also important just to invite, you know, who hasn't shared yet. If you're at a big table or if you're with a group of people who hasn't spoken yet, what ideas can we hear that maybe haven't been surfaced? Mm-hmm. And so inviting some of those internal processors to come up, uh, with, with their solutions or their ideas too. Yeah. I like how you drew uh, the comparison out there, kind of thinking the same way, just you only hear it from one person. Um, so I think we've like run you, run you through the dryer or whatever the saying is. Like you guys clearly are knowledgeable about this stuff. Um, you haven't really told us about the game um, and this Kickstarter that you guys are running. I saw the video, so I'm, I'm already inducted. But can you share with everybody else? Yeah, so Conversate is the game version of all of this experience that Molly and I have shared. So we've taken all of this experience asking questions and coming up with interesting things to talk to people about and packaged it all up literally in a little box um, to help other people everywhere in the world have more authentic and meaningful conversations. And the goal is really to set the stage with a really simple framework and great questions for people to connect more meaningfully. So that's what conversation is all about. Um, Inside the box, we have put conversation cards that have a topic on each one and a series of questions about that topic uh, that help explore the topic from different angles. So for example, the card that we've developed about wealth talks about wealth as compared to money and what we think the differences are between them, Mm. how people think about managing finances, something as tactical as that, and also questions about like wealth as legacy and what does that mean for the kind of world or family you want to leave behind. 
So the questions range in their nature and they're intended to help explore lots of different angles on a topic and create a meaningful, interesting way to engage on that topic. And it's different from other conversation games on the market because rather than having random questions thrown at you that could range from like, would you go live on the moon if you had the opportunity to tell me about the last movie that you saw where you silently cried to yourself, you know, <laughs> sobbed <laughs> in the movie theater alone. Um, questions that are, that are cool and interesting, but also really disconnected from each other and ultimately don't create a true conversation. What we've tried to do is package questions around the topic so that you can really engage on a topic for a period of time. And not just on one question. You don't have to drag one question out for an hour. Instead, there's lots of different ways to think about it. Yeah, which is awesome. I think when I did that dinner, that the first question did go on for an hour. <laughs> which <laughs> and was, that's one it was fine. Too. But... Yeah, and you know what? When you're having an awesome conversation, that has happened for both Molly and I, where we literally talk about the same thing for an hour. And mm -hmm. that's great. But if you're not the kind of people that like to talk about the same thing for one hour, what we've tried to do is give lots of different variety and angles so that you can explore the topic for a while in an interesting way. Yeah. And you guys already funded the game, right? Yes, we hit our funding goal, our initial funding goal in 72 hours. So wow. it's clear that awesome. people crave conversation. Um, we recently hit a stretch goal, I think yesterday, of 12,000. And so now we're going to try to set our sites even higher so we can do a large production run and hopefully get this retail ready for 2018. That's like board game stores too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that would be awesome. So Andrew, do you know when we're going live with this? Uh, I believe it did. You guys talked to Lauren. It's this Monday, I think, right? Or, or it's either this Monday or next Monday. So, uh, and we'll, we'll, well then, we'll given cut my that out. abilities, either in, the given my abilities in math, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like calendar. Help. <laughs> if it's before, if it's live before November 10th, then it, everybody who's listening can still get in on the action with the campaign. Okay. Yeah. Cool. That makes it easier to, to <laughs> there you go. And it will be, be like there's 11 days left or something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, yeah. So we'll have that linked up in the show notes. Uh, do you guys have like social media or a website that you guys put out more stuff like this to the world? We do. Our website is www.converse hyphen eight dot com also awesome. are <clears throat> excuse me also on instagram um under the same handle do you guys like do conversation prompts on instagram or what, what's like the the idea with using instagram we do we do prompts on instagram and we also have a facebook group um where we post several times a week interesting videos and talks and articles all about the art of conversation as well as some of the prompts that come out of the game. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's fun. A lot of people answer the questions. Actually, they write in the comments. Yeah. We just posted one about an early experience with a board game or another kind of game. And we had people sharing all kinds of things about their early exposure to play and their favorite games and playing with their parents. And it was fun. Strangers were interacting with each other, which is Another one of those great things where technology, yes, maybe pulls us away from conversation. And at the same time, it helps be that little baby step that we were talking about before. Yeah. 
I think I'm going to go follow the Instagram just so I have like a source of prompts the next time I'm in a social situation and can't think of anything. It's kind of frustrating because you guys are sitting here like giving me all these ideas for questions. And as you guys are talking about the ideas, I'm formulating like really cool questions in my head. But then when I'm at some sort of social function, those questions often don't come to mind, I guess, through anxiety or something. So it would be good to have maybe something in the back pocket. At That's least. why the next time you're at a wedding, you need to have the cheat sheet in your pocket. So you can pull it out be like, just be like, beer? And then, good. <laughs> <laughs> the question I thought of is, is instead of asking, like, is that your favorite beer? Um, if you could only drink one beer for the rest of your life, which one would it be? I love it. Which one would know. it be for you? I don't know. See, I was like sitting there thinking about what my answer would be, and I <laughs> honestly pressure. don't know. Well, because I have a few beers that are like my favorite if I think about them, but they're also seasonal, and I think they're my favorite because they're so rare. So I feel like you'd have to pick something that's maybe a little, a little more inoffensive, um, a little more generic, maybe like just uh, something like that's like a classic that never gets old. I don't know, like like a Kirin or a like a light Japanese beer or something. I don't know. One of my favorite beers is like this crazy winter coriander cider thing, but then we drank too much of it and it got kind of old. And I was like, all right, maybe this is too flavorful to have all the time. I don't know. (laughs) We just learned so much about you and your answer right there. (laughs) Yeah. Even without a one word beer choice, we now know how you feel about seasonal choices. That's That's right. People across America, weddings everywhere are going to be asking about beers this season. There we go. Yeah. What's your what's your desert island beer? (laughs) The desert island album question is always a good one, too. I like that one. What's that? Just like if you were stuck on a desert island and you could only listen to one album. Oh. Like you only bring one with you, which one would it be? Yeah. Those are fun questions. Green Day Dookie. Dookie, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you were much quicker on the answer than I would be. I would sit there thinking for, I don't know, probably an hour trying to make the perfect choice. But before we get into an entire new podcast episode on desert <laughs> island items, <laughs> we should probably wrap this one up. So we will have links to your Instagram, to your website, uh, to that Facebook group. If we can find it, maybe you guys can send us the link and to the Kickstarter, which I think this episode will be live in time for people to go check it out up until November 10th, you said? Hmm? Awesome. Cool. So we will have all those links in the show notes in case you did not memorize them here on the audio version. You can head over to listenmoneymatters.com slash show to find those links. You can also go to listenmoneymatters.com slash toolbox to find all of our favorite resources, apps, books for increasing your financial knowledge, and in general, making your life easier. So definitely go check that out. And thanks, as always, for hanging out with us today, guys. And I think that's about all we have. So we will see you in next week's episode. Later. Later, man. Please tell your friends about this show.